Turning back to Philippians chapter 1, um, we've entitled the message, Living the Word. Living the Word. This is Reformation Sunday, and I want to home in our thought on that even this morning. Let's just unite our hearts together, please, in a word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy mercies toward us. And we bless thee, Lord, for the hymns and psalms that we've been singing. And, O oh God, we pray that thou would accept our thanks for even helping the reading of thy precious word. Lord, we know the apostle could say, give attention to the reading. And Lord, we pray that we might be a people who will ever give attention to the word of God. We pray, Lord, you'd bring us into this passage just now. Lord, take away every distracting and distracting thought. We ask, O God, that I might close us in with thyself. Bind the strong man. Lord, cause thy word to run and to be glorified. Lord, minister unto our hearts. To that end, I pray, thou would fill me with thy spirit and with power. For we ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen. The month of October, but especially the 31st of the month, remains important in church history because it is what is known as the Great Protestant Reformation. It was on this day in 1517 that a monk by the name of Martin Luther was to kneel his 95 theses. Theses simply means arguments. Kneel the 95 theses or arguments to the church door at Wittenberg. Those statements were an affirmation of his faith. But those statements were also a blow to Romanism and to her deception in that day. But what must be understood, men and women, young people, is that while Martin Luther may be the most familiar of the names of the Reformers, he was only one of many others. Many others who directed the people away from Romanism and to what God's Word stated. And so while Luther's thesis was the fuel, you might think, that lit the fire of the Protestant Reformation, God had already caused a smoldering through circumstances and through other men that he was to raise up even before times. Circumstances such as a revival of learning. That, that had been dormant over many a long day, but there was a renaissance of learning. There was also the invention of printing about 1450, which would be greatly used to spread the Word of God throughout Europe and be greatly used to, of course, bring the Scriptures and the Gospel to the ordinary people. Also at that time, there was damage caused in the Church of Rome not only by their immorality and by their vice, but by the very fact that two popes reigned at the very same time, one in Rome and the other in Avion. And they did so for 40 years, each claiming, of course, that they were the true vicar of Christ and they were the successor of Peter. Their credibility was fast draining away the hearts in the hearts of the people. Coupled with that and with those providential dealings of God, the Lord was to raise up men like John Wycliffe, 
born about 1324, under the teaching of salvation by God's grace, he was to repent, he was to believe the gospel, he became known as the morning star of the Reformation. He was to see much accomplished for the spread of the gospel, none more so because of his translation of the scriptures into English. And then he would take that, those copies of the Scriptures and he would give pages of them to preachers. And those Whitcliffe preachers, they went out and they taught the Word of God. They read the Scriptures so that the people could hear them. And many believed and many were converted to Christ. God had also another John. John Huss of Bohemia who was a rector of Prague University, a man greatly loved by the people, but yet hated by church authorities, so much so that he would be burned at the stake because of his faith, and one who was to receive the martyr's crown. As the chain was put around his neck, he was heard to say this, Is it thus you silence the goose? Goose is a reference to his surname. A hundred years hence, there will arise a swan whose singing you will not be able to silence. And men and women, that in fact was a prophetic saying. Because it has reference to Luther, who a hundred years later, in knowledge of God's word and of the new birth, was to kneel those statements. And he kneeled the lies in effect and the deception of Romanism to that church door. The Reformation had truly been lit. And what this movement was under God was a rediscovery of the gospel of the New Testament and a republishing of it. It rediscovered in particular five important truths. Sola Scripturia. Sola Christo. Sola Gratia. Sola Fidei. Fidei. Sola Gloria. The word solo is a Latin word which simply means alone. Or unaccompanied. But the main foundation upon which all of them is built is the first one, sola scripturia. And that's what I want to leave with you even this morning because this is our need again today. And the need today is to live the Word. I draw your attention to verse 27 if you want a text. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You'll notice there with me, please, a standing fast. The Scriptures alone are the Word of God. And the Reformation rediscovered to the people that they are our sole rule of faith and practice. You think some of the older ones will be able to remember it? What the Shorter Catechism, Shorter Catechism sums up in the third question, what do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what, what duty God requires of man. When there's trouble in the church, where apostasy has taken place, you can be sure that it stems from the departure from the Word of God. That was the case in the time prior to the Reformation. It's a time known as the Dark Ages. There was a darkness that prevailed, prevailed socially, and prevailed 
economically, but especially it was a darkness that prevailed scripturally or religiously, if you like. The people, by and large, were poor. The morals of that time matched the word itself because immorality was rife even in the very capital of people power. Religion was, the, was of the popes and the prelates and the people had to adhere what the priest said or what the pope said. And because the church of Rome had departed from the truth and because they had put in place the traditions of men the authority of the Scriptures was suppressed and it was dismissed. Prior to the Reformation, the ordinary people were not privy to the Word of God. They had no access to the Word of God, neither could they in many cases read the Word of God. The absence of the authority of God's Word, it gave way only to superstition and to fears and to erroneous teaching. Where there's no light of God's Word, men and women, there's darkness. And dear people, therein lies the danger of going away from the Word of God. The Scriptures which Paul could state to Timothy, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. The Scriptures which have been given by the inspiration of God, they're all God-breathed. They're all of God's revelation to sinful and lost mankind. The Scriptures which are all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Much of modern preaching says, let's not be too worried about doctrine. And what is put in this place is the ideology of man. And man's opinions have replaced the doctrines of God's truth. You can't dismiss doctrine. Doctrine simply is the gospel. It's George Whitfield who said this, that we are nothing without revelation. God has given us his written revelation. And as Luther defined the scriptures or defended the scriptures and the doctrines, arguably the greatest day of his life was in April 18 and 1521 as he stood in the Diet of Worms. Now, that's a strange term. Worms is simply the, t the place, the town. The Diet simply speaks about the court in which he was summoned to. And there was charges against him and there was pressure for him to recant and he made this speech in reply, a speech that really shook the world. He said this, and I quote, Unless I am convinced by testimonies of the Scriptures, or by clear arguments that I am in error, for popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves, I cannot withdraw, for I am subject to the Scriptures that I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. So help me God. Maybe those final words are reminded, remembered, but the, the previous part is often forgotten. And today we must stand in the liberty which has been given to us from the Protestant Reformation. For to do anything else will mean the bondage of the dark ages again. It is to go back into superstition and into heresy. I wonder, have you thanked God recently that you have the Scriptures? 
that we don't take them for granted. I know in every one of our houses, no doubt there's not one, but there's multiple copies of the Word of God in our own language. And yet you set yourself back in that time where the people hadn't got that privilege, they hadn't got it in their own mother tongue, and they didn't have the Word of God, and they were in darkness. I wonder, have you read, have you prayed over Galatians chapter 5 verse 1? It says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We must also stand in the foundation of God's word as our authority of faith. You know that I've heard it said, I belong to a Bible-believing church. That's what the Reformation gave us. All Protestant churches in the Reformed faith would have held this position at one time. But sadly, by inference, of course, there are churches now who have left that position. They're apostate. They do not believe all the Bible. They question certain passages or truths in the Word of God. Some will deny that the Bible is even inspired. Others will state that they believe the Scriptures contain God's Word. Our position holds to that which the Reformers believe. It does not merely contain the Word of God, it actually is the very Word of God. And if we move away from that position and belief, then we reduce the Scriptures to just being another book. We cannot do that for to deny the Scriptures. To deny their authority is to deny Christ Himself. For he, he it, it was who recognized their authority. And you have, for example, in Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted of the devil, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He's quoting from the, the Scriptures of truth. Many, many other times you will find the Savior constantly appealing to the Word of God. Let me take you back just for a second to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. You just look with me at the words of verse 1 and 2. Sorry, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, Keep thy word when thou goest, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and I upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. And men and women, there are two verses which really impart to us how we ought to approach the worship of God. How we ought to come to the house of God. There's there's an integral part of worship that's mentioned there. It's hearing. Be more ready to hear. I want to, as I said to the adult Bible class this morning, we don't just utter prayer to fill out a few words, but we don't just read the Scriptures just to fill out a part so it gets me through to the preaching and, and we'll fill out an hour. You see, the reading of the Word is an integral part of worship. And we are to hear. You know, there's a difference, there's a difference between hearing and listening. I suppose if... Uh, I was to go around the congregation, including my own wife. She might understand what I mean. Wives sometimes speak to their husbands they hear, but they don't listen. So there's a big difference between hearing and listening. 
And we are to hear the Word of God. We are to listen to the Word of God. It is a major part of our worship. And it takes attention. Just if your wife wants you to hear something and you listen to that, you've got to give attention. And we've got to give attention to the Word of God being read and being preached. Luther and the Reformers were to see that the Church of Rome exalted their traditions over and above the Scriptures. And so for them, the traditions of the Fathers have as much authority as the very Word of God. I proved that when I was in Coleraine University as the chaplain there for our denomination. I said to the Roman Catholic priest, very approachable guy, I have to say. Well, the others weren't. I said to him, why do you boys worship Mary? I said, it's not in the word of God. Oh, he says, we, we, we have the tradition of the fathers. And there, at first hand, was an omission that they were holding the tradition of the fathers. And purgatory, I think it was that I mentioned to him as well. That's exactly the same. It's not found in the Word of God, but because some Pope said it centuries ago, they hold it, and they hold it in power, and in some cases above the Word of God as their authority. Dear people, that is why we have to have, or we ought to have, the spirit of the Berean Christians, whom Paul writes about in Acts 17, verse 11. You know what it says? It says, when he went to Berea, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They were a people who received the word with all readiness of mind. But they didn't only listen and hear the word as it was preached or listened to, uh, preached upon, but they went home and they searched the scriptures. And I, that my congregation would do the same. Don't you take it from me. You go home with the word of God and you search it. You see, the Scriptures are our authority on all matters of faith, weighing up every matter by the Word of God and to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this Word, it is because there's no light in them. I don't care what it is. You can bring it against the Word of God. You can weigh it against the Word of God. If the Word of God does not show it or speak of it, it's not truth. There's no light. And the Savior said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How are you doing? Were you in the Word this morning before you came out to the house of God? You're privileged. You have a Bible at home. You have it in your own language. You can read it at any time. We need to hold fast to the Word of God in these days. Let me also show you a striving together from these words. Because Paul here, he implores the believers, you'll notice in our text, to strive together for the faith of the gospel. They were to be in one mind concerning the great truths that they had come to learn and they had come to experience for themselves. They were to be protesters of the gospel. 
And that, men and women, is what we are called to be. The church here unashamedly declares itself to be a Protestant church. A word which today is misunderstood. A word today that is many cases tremble into the gutter. What does it mean to be a Protestant? We as a church identify with the great Protestant Reformation. For in that time, there were those raised up of God who protested for the truths, who protested for the faith of the gospel. It was Luther with the light of God's word and spirit indwelling him was to stand against the old deception of Tetzel. Tetzel was going about and selling his sin dockets, getting money, telling the people, you buy a ticket and your sins will be pardoned. All that money was going, of course, to Rome, to the finishing of their building program there. How can a man be pardoned for his sin? It's not by paying into the church, but it is through solia gratia, solia fide, solia Christo. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How can sinful man be justified by God? It says, Luther came to read and set his soul upon Romans 1 and 17. For therein is the righteousness of God. Now we've got to go back where he says, for therein. What was he referring to? Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. He says, for therein. In the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Justification by faith alone. Church of Rome teaches us justification by baptism. And faith. And the church. You see, it's not alone. This is the word that defines or differentiates between any Reformed church and that which is erroneous. It's sola. It's alone. These great truths were rediscovered by the Reformation and which are the irreconcilable differences between the Church of Rome who still hold on to every dogma that caused the Reformation in the first place. A true Protestant is one who protests for the truths and doctrines of God's Word. Of Christ's virgin birth, of His sinless, spotless, righteous life, of His atoning death on that cross, of His bodily resurrection from the grave, of His glorious ascension back to the Father's right hand, of His coming again for His people to judge the world. These and many other truths which are under attack. The Word of God is a target of many of Satan's arrows. And it is his desire to cause people to doubt God's word and to forsake it. But it is our business to protest for its truths. Or as Jude was to put it like this, to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. But our striving together is also to publish forth the Christ of the Reformers. While the priests were pointing the people to Rome and to the popes, the reformers opened the scriptures to the people. They showed them that their only hope of salvation was to be found in the person of Christ. He was the center of the Reformation because Christ is the center of the gospel. 
The Reformation showed the people that all they needed was God's only beloved Son. And today we need to be on our guard against anything which takes us away from the Christ of the Scriptures. And which is dressed up, but that which in effect is just another gospel. It was Grattan Guinness commenting upon the Reformation. If you don't know who Grattan Guinness was, there's a book, it's a secular book, I have to say, but it's called The Guinness Spirit. It is about the family that's well known for the liquor, put it like that. But it's a very interesting book because not all of that family went into the, the booze. In fact, old Arthur Guinness brought Guinness out, brought that liquor out as an alternative to hard whiskey drinking. He had the Bible on the, on the office desk. Some of them went into the gold, into the mining, but there's others of that family and they went into, into the gospel. And Grattan Guinness was a man used in the 1859 revival here in Ulster. Grattan Guinness said this when he made reference to the Reformation. He says, wherever you have a priest instead of a preacher, an altar instead of a communion table, candles instead of the sunshine of divine truth, ceremony instead of sound doctrine, sacraments instead of saving grace, liturgies instead of spiritual worship, gorgeous vestments instead of gospel truth, tradition and the church instead of as it is written, crossings instead of Christ, then you have Romanism. No matter what it may be called, beware of it. End of quote. I think you see why I included that quotation. I think that sums it up. And today we have people, we have people you know, getting as near to these things as they can do. And with people wearing crosses around their neck and all of that carry on. And men and women, we need to be in our guard. He went on to say, Suffer no saint, nor angel, nor virgin, nor priest to come between you and Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and men, and there is but one sacrifice for sins offered once and forever. And when the sinner comes through that one mediator, by that one sacrifice upon Calvary, and draws nigh to God in repentance, then God has promised to draw nigh to you. My friend, it is still the Lord Jesus Christ alone that we seek to uplift before you, as the Reformers did in their day. For the cause of Christ, we strive together for the faith of the gospel. And I guarantee, I guarantee you, in what is so-called main Protestant denominations today, preachers will not be preaching on the Protestant Reformation. They want to forget about it. But if we hadn't got the Protestant Reformation, we wouldn't have a church today. We wouldn't have a place where we can preach the whole counsel of God. And there is to be that striving together. I want you to note in closing a suitable conduct. You'll see the manner in which the Apostle Paul commences this verse. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
For the people of God, our faith is not a set of rules. It's not merely a confession of faith. But saving faith is that which is lived out in our daily lives. Faith without works is dead, James said. Our faith should be witnessed in our living. That conduct is one of obedience to God's Word. For not only is God's Word our sole rule of faith, but the Reformation rediscovered it is also our sole rule of practice. Where where do you think we come across the phrase, the Protestant work ethic? That's a result of the Protestant Reformation. The work ethic. Living. It's not only our sole rule of faith, it's our sole rule of practice as well. What God's Word says ought to guide, it ought to rule our lives, our homes, our churches. All of these things ought to be agreeable to what God's Word states. Its authority is over all areas of life. We conduct ourselves in a suitable manner because God's Word is our guide and is our authority. The clothes and the fashion that we wear is not after the fashion of the world, but rather it will be marked by modesty because God's Word is our guide. It's our authority. 1 Timothy 2 and 9. Our attitudes display temperance, patience. Our speech, the same. Our speech is not to be the speech of the world. Why? Because God's word is our guide. And authority, all of these matters. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. And so we could go on. Understand, dear loved one, that the Scriptures are our authority and they are sufficient for our every need. The Scriptures are sufficient to meet man's need for salvation. Found in its pages is the Gospel. How a guilty sinner can be saved through the person and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're able to make us wise unto salvation. You're not saved this morning. The Scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation now. That is why Calvin exhorted his students, we also seek to preach nothing but what can be proved by the Bible. But you know they're also sufficient to meet our need for spiritual growth. The psalmist could say, they're a lamp unto my feet, they're a light unto my path. That path has taken us through this barren wilderness, this barren land, and to heaven one day. And you see the word there, it's in our text. Only let your conversation. That's what that has to do with. It has to do with our citizenship in heaven. You'll see it also at the end of chapter 3 in Philippians. And that being so, our conduct ought to be worthy of the gospel. That was what Paul was teaching. If they, even if they should be suffering for their faith as he was as a prisoner at this time, yet their conversation, their conduct, their citizenship ought to betray the fact that they were one of God's saints. You will know, of course, many of the reformers suffered Many were burned at the stake for their faith. 
Just back some months ago, I was in Oxford in England, and there is the mark where those martyrs were burned to the stake, a little cross in the middle of the road. Big statue around the corner, Latimer and Ridley, burned to the stake, wouldn't recant of their faith, wouldn't go back into Romanism. They were burned because what they believed. The great movement under God was to spread throughout Europe. And thank God it spread into these islands whereby we have the scriptures of truth. We have the gospel of saving grace today. And today, although the light of the flame may be burning low, and the battles for the faith of the gospel are still to be fought, and we're still to be those soldiers of the cross, and Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today, and forever, the battle cry still needs to be sola scripturia. Dear child of God, get into the book. Study the Word. Learn it. Cherish it. Know its truths. And go forth and live those truths out before those who are not reformed in their faith and before those who are unconverted and still in their sin, the darkness of it. That's why I've entitled the message Living the Word. There are many who will not read the Word of God any day that you come across them, but they'll read your life and mine. You read it. You get into it. You cherish it. And you pray that God might help you to live it out, to obey and put it into into action. You see, that's what a true Protestant needs to be in this our day. It's not just a dirty word. It is in some corners. That's what a true Protestant is. May God enable us to be so for His glory's sake. I trust the Lord will bless His word to your heart this morning for His own name's sake.